If you have your Bibles today, you can join with me in 2 Timothy chapter 1. This Christmas season of Advent, I've chosen to preach a little differently than I have in other Advent seasons. I just felt led to do that. I feel like we are at a time of expectation, not always of good things when we look at the news, but uh, we uh, are at a time of expectation of good things when we look at the Scriptures. Uh, we expect the return of Christ very soon. Amen? Uh, we, we are not a people of low expectations. Uh, we shouldn't be, anyway. Uh, there was this great expectation of the coming of the King, and He came in the manger. And he's coming again, and it will not be in a manger. <laughs> he is going to come on the clouds with the shout, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet shout of God, and he is going to return in all of his glory. And it's going to be a wonderful day. Amen? Uh, so we, we are a different kind of people as far as our expectations than most. A lot of folks live with zero or very low expectations of this life and any life to come. We as Christians should have great expectations for both here and now, in this place, and in the life to come. Uh, great expectations of what Christ can do in us now, great expectations for what Christ intends to do for us uh, and in us in the future as we go into eternity. Paul is writing this letter to uh, someone that he has mentored, Timothy, a young man. Uh, this fellow grew up in a Christian home, at least in part. Uh, we have no mention of faith as far as his father is concerned. His father was a Greek. Uh, in all likelihood, uh, was not a believer. But we know that his mother, who was a Hebrew, uh, was a believer in Christ. She had received Jesus Christ as her Savior. And his grandmother had received Jesus Christ uh, as her Savior as well. His mother, she and her mother, his grandmother, knew Jesus. And they had shared Jesus with Timothy. And Paul had shared Jesus with Timothy. He had faith in Christ and loved the Lord. But he was being persecuted for his faith. Uh, and he was facing hard times. Christians did in that generation face difficult times. Persecution, torture, and death because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul writes to Timothy in order to encourage him. And in order to help him focus upon the hope we have in Christ. And the difference that he's made in his life. The power at work within him because of the Holy Spirit of the living God. That is within him. And that's what we need to so often be reminded of is that we do not serve a dead God. We do not serve idols made with the hands of men. We serve a living God. Uh, he is living and active in our world right here and now, in your life personally, in our world, and in our life collectively. He is actively moving in our lives. He is living. And so Paul is reminding him that Christ loves you and Christ is at work within you, so you are different if you entrust yourself to that power at work within you, the Holy Spirit, which was indwelling Timothy. Timothy accepted Christ. There was a laying on of hands. There was a great gift of the Holy Spirit given to him. And now, because of the Holy Spirit at work within him, he had the opportunity to live a life in power, love, and self-discipline instead of fear. When we look around ourselves, we see great opportunity to be afraid. It seems in our generation right now, we as Christians are surprised at the opposition that we are now facing because of our faith. Some of us are even offended by that, uh, shockingly enough. 
we, we really should not be surprised, and we really should see it as a badge of honor, as the apostles did in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, that we would be counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. And people see enough Jesus in us to be offended. That should be a great badge of honor for us. They see enough of Jesus to be offended by us. Because you see, Jesus is offended, offensive. He is to the natural mind and to the natural man or woman. He is offensive because he challenges man's right, at least as he understands it, because the natural man feels that he has the right of self-determination to determine what is right and wrong. What was the temptation in the Garden of Eden? To be your own God. Jesus challenges that. People see enough Jesus in you, they should be challenged. They should be challenged with the notion that you cannot be your own God. You cannot determine right and wrong for yourself. There is an accountability. There is a God other than yourself. They should be challenged with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, we are becoming once again the counterculture. Anyone in here today over the age of 40, most of your life has been lived within a culture that was greatly influenced by Christianity. Uh, that is no longer the case. Uh, we, are, we are not the predominant influence in this culture, in this society any longer. We are now officially the counterculture. And that's where Christianity has been for most of its history. All of our very short time and very specific place have we seen places have we seen Christianity be anything which could be termed the dominant culture or the dominant influence in a place uh, or in a society? That's been the case for much of American history. It's no longer the case. We are now more and more the counter culture, and we are going to be called to suffer for our faith, lost that we have not been called upon. Our grandparents, great grandparents, and other generations before us may not have been called to suffer. And a great many people are afraid because of that. We are challenged with all kinds of things and opportunities for fear that those in the United States of America are unaccustomed to in generations past. And fear paralyzes us. That's where the devil wants us, paralyzed. Or we're unwilling to act. We're unwilling to step out. We're unwilling to be the hands and feet of Christ. We're unwilling to share the gospel. You know, when you look at this word fear and how it really is defined in the Greek, it means timidity, fearfulness, and cowardice. And that's where Satan wants the church today. Timid, fearful, cowards who are unwilling to suffer for the cause of Christ in the name of Christ. Unwilling to take chances and take risk in the name of Jesus. He wants us shrinking back. Fear will paralyze each of us individually, as well as corporately. You know, I read recently about Louis Pasteur. Now, the, Louis Pasteur is, is one of the fathers of microbiology, okay? Uh, you may say, well, I know nothing about microbiology, but uh, if, if that's the case, you can talk to Susan Case. She will teach you all about microbiology, but she knows about Louis Pasteur. She can give you more detail than I'll give you today, but pasteurization, you know, your your milk is pasteurized. That's where... Uh, this word comes from is Louis Pasteur. He invented pastor, pastor, the, I can't say it today, pasteurization of milk and other things to eliminate the germs within them. But did you know that this man who studied bugs all his life had such a fear of sickness and such a fear of, of uh, dirt and infection that he would refuse to shake hands with people when he met them and came into acquaintance with them. Paralyzed. 
by his fears. President and Mrs. Benjamin Harrison were living in the White House when the White House was wired with electricity. Up to that point, there had been no electricity. They were so shook up by this and so fearful of electricity, they refused to touch the switches on the walls. If there were no servants around to turn the lights out when it was time for bed, they just slept with the lights on because they refused to touch the switches on the wall with this newfangled thing called electricity, paralyzed by fear. So you can be governed by fear and you begin to live your life in light of your fears, or you can live beyond your fears in a power beyond yourself and the power of Christ at work within you. And that's what Paul's really saying here. And it's a message that's very relevant for us today in the church as we are faced with so many different uh, new obstacles and new occasions for fear and new reasons in our mind for fear as we look at circumstances around us. See, we can live in light of our circumstance and be afraid, or we can live in light of who we are in Christ and be bold. Paul's saying here to Timothy, he says, listen, young man, he says, God has not called you. He has not given you a spirit of timidity, a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline. And this word power means an inherent power residing in us. God's power is within us. Do you know that? God's power is within you. As a believer in Christ, it is now inherent to you. It is a part of who you are. The spirit of the living God is within us, giving us great power beyond ourselves. It's not our power, it's his power at work within us to do great things. But if we fail to realize this power by faith at work within us, we'll never live in light of the power within us. We'll live in light of our circumstances and the limitations that we feel in self, in ourselves. What Paul is saying here is that, young man, you need to begin to live in light of the power at work within you. If you will have faith in that power at work within in you, you will no longer be afraid and paralyzed by your fears. You'll be bigger than that. And as a result of this power at work within you, making you strong and removing the fears around you and the obstacles that they present, you will begin to live the love that Christ intends for you to show have and show for the world around you. And one of the biggest challenges of the day for Christians is to love people who hate them. It's always been the case, isn't it? You know, one of the biggest debates I hear today going around, what should we should do with immigrants from the Middle East? What should we do about these Syrians? What should we do about these people coming in? It's a lot of fear about that, isn't there? Without getting all political this morning, one thing I do know that we should do beyond all else is that we should love them. We should seek to meet their needs and we should seek to share the gospel with them. But you know, that requires great power, strength beyond ourselves, and an ability to love those who may hate us. What about those out there in terrorist groups who hate us? What about people who hate us? What about people who want to kill us? What about people who want bad things for us? What about people who would be happy to blow this place up today? What do we do with those folks? We love them. You say, well, I just don't think I can love someone that feels that way about me. This is not about our feelings, guys. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you see a lot of things Paul says there which defines love. Not one of them has to do with your emotions. Did you know that? Folks come in and they say, well, 
I'm just not sure I love my wife anymore. Well, that's just a choice you've made. So, no, I just don't feel love for her anymore. Well, no, it's not about your feelings, partner. It's about what you choose to think, what you choose to do. It's all about the attitude you choose to have. It's all about the actions you choose to demonstrate. Love is patient. Is that a feeling? That's a choice to be patient, isn't it? Love is kind. Is that a feeling? No. It's not. Kindness is an activity. It's a choice. Love is, is not boastful, is not proud, is not rude, does not keep a record of right and wrongs. A bunch of feelings there. Or actions, attitudes, activity. See, what Scripture says here is that you have a choice to live in your fear and be paralyzed by your fear and never reach out to anyone who hates you or thinks differently than you. Or you can live by a power at work within you, which is beyond yourself, the Holy Spirit of the living God. And as a result of that, you can love those who hate you, persecute you, and want to kill you. That's the choice that we have. Live in the power of Christ and be who Christ called us to be or be paralyzed by our fear and be who we want to be from the place of fear and those feelings which operate within us in an effort at self-preservation. Timothy was facing all kinds of persecution, probably beyond anything that we will ever personally face in our lives. And Paul says, you can live from the power of Christ at work within you and you can love people. Many of you guys have never heard the story of St. Francis of Assisi. Francis was born in the 13th century. He was a playboy. He was come from a wealthy family. He was a womanizer. He got saved. All that changed. I mean, the guy's life was turned upside down, and he was on fire for Christ, and he could not uh, be more on fire for Christ. I mean, this fellow was just had a, a zeal, a love, a passion for the Lord, which consumed him for the rest of his life. And during this time, during this day and age of the 13th century, there were a, a great many of these things called crusades. Uh, these these campaigns to take back the Middle East from the Muslims. And so you would see uh, church leaders during that day who would raise armies and send them over in crusades. And there was one particular crusade which happened uh, that was led by a cardinal uh, named uh, Pelagius. I'm going to read my, put my glasses on to read some of this to you. Uh, he led a crusade against Al-Kamil, the Sultan of Egypt. And the cardinal's forces seized the city of Damiata, I'm guessing I'm saying that right, and were able to hold it for some time, but they were not able to do much more than that. So everything was stalled. You had the army of the Christians on one side, the army of the Muslims on the other side. Some folks think that this, because they don't know their history, that this is a conflict, recent conflict that is new to us. Now, there's nothing new about this. It's been going on for a long time, this conflict uh, in the Middle East and the conflict between Christian and Muslims. But <coughs> there were these things called crusades which were fought. The cardinal's forces had seized this city. The lines were drawn up. And around July or August of 1219, there uh, shows up onto the scene this fellow, St. Francis of Assisi. Now, according to historians and good accounts of this, there's a book written on this, St. Francis and the Sultan. St. Francis showed up on the scene and was so inflamed with zeal for the faith that he did not fear to cross the lines where the armies were drawn up in opposition to one another. He went over and shared the gospel 
with the Muslim army for three days. He walked across enemy lines and shared the gospel with the Saracens for three days. To no avail. There's no, there's no great revival that happened. There's no great coming to Jesus in this story. He was bold. He had faith. He was operating in the power of Christ at work within him. And because of that power of Christ at work within him, he loved these folks who hated him and wanted to kill him and everyone like him, loved them so much that he was willing to walk across the battle lines into their camp and preach the gospel to them. And not only that, he preached the gospel to the leader. He preached the gospel to the sultan of Egypt at the time, the king of Egypt. And obviously this man felt conviction as he was hearing the preaching of the gospel. He did not accept Christ, but tell of it is, is that he asked St. Francis of Assisi to pray for him so that he might be inspired by God to adhere to that religion which most pleased God. How does someone do that? I mean, we are all afraid, aren't we? I mean, we all have fears. We all are filled with anxiety at times, aren't we? I mean, fear's not always bad, right? I mean, fear gets us out of trouble sometimes. I mean, I know that I don't need to jump into the tiger's den at the zoo because I'm fearful that this tiger will eat me for lunch, right? So fear's not always a bad thing. It warns me of trouble and keeps me safe at times. But there is a time when fear becomes something that consumes us and paralyzes us and keeps us from following after Christ and living the life God intends for us to live on this earth with the time that we have here in this generation. See, St. Francis understood that he was responsible to share the gospel in his generation. He was responsible for this generation of people. He saw people who did not know Christ, many of which had never heard maybe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's so inflamed with zeal for the Lord, passion for Christ, love of Jesus, and love for those who were lost, that he walked across the lines to share the gospel with those, many of which whom had never heard the gospel of Jesus. He was living from a power at work within him rather than the circumstances arrayed around him. And Paul is challenging Timothy to do the same. So he says you have power. And as a result of that power, you have this love of Christ within you and ability to love others as a result of the power of God at work within you. And then you have this third one, self-control. Now, if you really dig into what self-control is and what it means here in this passage of Scripture, it's very ill-defined, I feel, and translated here as self-control. What it really means is it is a strength in the face of persecution. It's strength in the face of persecution. We say, how can someone face the kind of persecution that we read about on the Internet? Uh, how can how can these Christians face martyrdom? How does someone face that? And we think, I, I hope I never face that. None of us want to face that. But we think, you know, how how could could anyone face that? Go through that. Be faithful in the midst of that. And, you know, we we don't know because we've never been called to do it. What we see in this passage of scripture is that if you're called to something along those lines. Whatever suffering you're called to, whether it be torture, torment, or even death, God gives us the grace we need in the moment to live it. In that moment, He gives us self-control. In that moment, He gives us strength in the midst of persecution. In that moment, He gives us strength in the midst of the torment. So we can be faithful to Him. That's the promise. God has given us a spirit of power. 
and love and self-control. God has already given us these things. We have to have faith that it's there in order to realize its effect in our life. It's the old adage, if I give you a million dollars and you bury it in the backyard, it didn't do you much good, did it? You're not going to pay off your house, buy any cars, or give any money to any worthy causes if it's buried in a coffee can in your backyard. But if you take that money and you put it in your bank, then all of a sudden it's realized. It's effectual. There's power in it to do things, whatever money can do. We have a power much greater than any money, which is more effectual than any cash could ever be. We have the power of God at work within us, effectual, changing us. And by faith, we realize through the power of God at work within us, we can love as Jesus commanded us to love. We can love those who hate us, love those who persecute us, Love those even who want to kill us. Love those who are looking for anything in any way to attack us because of the power of Christ at work within us. You know, we live in a world today of hatred, rejection, and fear. But the same Jesus who walked the world 2,000 years ago and the things that he said when he was walking this earth are still very applicable to us today. Feed the hungry. Give the thirsty a drink. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I will be with you the end of the age. You see, it's still the same. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what He spoke yesterday is still very applicable to us today. And the power that He promised those who walked in that time in which He walked 2,000 years ago is a promise still given us today and given to those who will walk tomorrow. We read of stories of faith and lives such as St. Francis. Tomorrow they'll be reading stories about you and what will they say. Will we be spoken of as a people who were cowards and timid and were bent on self-preservation at all costs, unwilling to risk anything? Or will we be written of as those who live from a power within, the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God within us, who challenged us to get up and to walk and to go, have faith to follow and to be the hands and feet of Christ and the mouthpiece of the gospel which saves the world, who will have faith in it. Abraham was called to get up and go. To go where? God didn't tell him. He said, just get up and go. I'll let you know when it's time for you to settle down. Just have faith in me. Joseph was sitting in a dungeon for years and years and years, tormented, questions, Wondering why has this happened? Never wavered in his faith in God, though, did he? God had a plan. Sometimes we don't understand where God has us, what God is doing. God says, have faith. Believe and trust in me and the power at work within you. We look at the circumstances around us and we don't have all of the answers. We don't know sometimes where we're going. We don't know how it's all going to end up. But one thing we know is that there's a power at work within us. And the power at work within us is greater than any power in the world. 
Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Greater than any spiritual power at work against us. Greater than any human power at work against us is the power of Christ at work within us, which allows us to love, allows us to live in something bigger than ourselves, allows us to live in spite of whatever is arrayed against us, and allows us to love as Christ would love, allows us the self-control to face persecution in his strength and to live a bold, courageous kind of life. That's what God has called us to. I want to close today, and I just want to say this. We don't have to be like everybody else. Everyone around us today is afraid. Afraid. Scared. Timid. And it's getting worse. Have you noticed this? It's getting worse. I mean, after these last attacks in California, we bought enough guns in this country to arm an army. We're afraid. That's who we are as an American people right now. We're afraid. Fearful. We don't have to be. And the way not to be is found in here, in the church, in Christ. In Jesus Christ, we fear nothing. We have that opportunity. Be anxious in nothing, in nothing, in nothing. Paul didn't give us a caveat or any outs there. Paul didn't write there, be anxious in nothing, except in the year 2015, you Americans, you got an excuse because you're going to face something no one else has before. He said, be anxious in nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition. It's about prayer and dependence upon Christ with thanksgiving, rehearsing all of the power of God at work in all of the generations prior to us and even in our own life. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, shalom, the sense of well-being in life, will guard your heart, the place of emotion, and your minds, the place of thought. Guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. A peace of God which transcends all understanding. We don't have to live afraid, and we can show them how they too can live fearless lives in Christ if we're willing to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what it all comes back to, doesn't it? Paul is building Timothy up for a purpose so that he might be missional, so that he might get up and do something. He says, don't you sit there. Don't you be quiet. Don't you be afraid. Don't you be timid. Don't you let anybody look down on you because of your age. And don't you let anybody keep you in your seat and keep your mouth shut because of what they threaten you with. You get up in the power of Jesus Christ in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You get up and walk in the power of Christ at work within you. You be bold, you love, you share the faith, you share the gospel and the self-control, the strength of God in the midst of the persecution which is surely to come. That can be our life and it can be theirs too if they'll accept Jesus Christ by faith. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ and we have a generation that needs it terribly. I mean, right now we are living in an American generation that is one of the most lost generations in the history of our country. We are living in a mission field. We don't have to go to mission fields anymore. The mission field comes to us. We are living in a time and a place that is in such desperate, terrible need. And the church is cowering in timidity and fear because we are living based on the circumstances against us in light of the circumstances arrayed against us rather than the power at work within us. choice. It's a choice. Will you choose to have faith that God is real 
and his power is at work within you to do immeasurably more than you can ever imagine or even ask. Ask or imagine. Will you believe? Will you trust? Will you have faith? Will you believe? Will you trust? Will you have faith in the power at work within you? Or will you keep your eyes focused on the circumstances arrayed against you? Which will it be? You will choose. You will choose. To not choose is to choose. You will choose. And Paul says to Timothy, Paul says to you, Paul says to me, choose to have faith. Choose to believe and trust in me. And live a life bigger than yourself. Now, if that's the kind of life you want, and that's the kind of choice you want to make for yourself and your family, those around you, then I just want to encourage you today, in just a moment when we have an invitation, to bow your head and say that to the Lord. Say, Lord, I don't want to live a life of fear. And I know you didn't call me to live a life of fear. Lord, I want to live in your power. And I want to love with the love you've put in my heart. And I want to live in light of the self-control, the strength you give me for whatever I'm going to face in life. So, Lord, I choose you and I choose what you're doing within me. I have faith that what you have said in your word is true. That you have given me a spirit of power and love and self-control. I believe that. I trust that. You need to say that to him. You need to believe that. You need to pray that over your life, over yourself. Pray that you will walk in his power at work within you because you can't do it on your own you'll never do it on your own because your eyes will always be focused out here in what's coming against you and what you can do in light of it you have to have your eyes focused on christ and the power of his holy spirit at work within you will you do that today will you pray and will you say lord i believe that this verse is true about me and I pray that I will live in the power and love and self-control you've placed in me and no longer live in fear of all other things amassed against me. Let's bow together.